You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Well, Halloween is over this year, said Charlie Brown to Linus at the end of The Great Pumpkin. I don't know if you know, but this is one of the first years where The Great Pumpkin has not been on broadcast television. It instead shows up on Apple TV+. Such a great story. Those Charlie Brown episodes, it's kind of like a part of the holidays, whether it's Halloween or even Christmas. It makes me wonder what makes a great story, a classic story. What is it that makes a story worth telling over and over and over again? For that matter, what is it that would keep a sermon around for 3,000 years? A sermon that's less like a sermon and more like a poem. What is it that gives something an abiding sense of truth that keeps it from being faded or dated? but still relevant and still applicable to us and how we're living our lives today. Sometimes we even just need an old story that we know told in a new way, in a way that's fresh and relevant and contemporary. And for me, I don't know about you, but for me, Micah has been that. This guy is full of one-liners, and I know preachers are sometimes known for the one-liners that they say, But Micah, I think, is the original meme preacher. He is able to give these one-liners that just stick in the mind and wedge themselves there and transform and shape us. In fact, even his name is a meme. Did you know that? His name forms a rhetorical question. Micah or Micaiah means, who is a God like Yahweh? How about that? That even your name prompts people to ask the question, who is God like Yahweh? It makes us think about our own lives. makes us think about our to-do list and challenges us. And I'd almost invite you to think for a minute. All right, in my life, who is a God like Yahweh is God for me? Of course we've got rival gods. But for each one of us to think about that, I think is quite important. Well, in our story, in this drama, it begins and continues to unfold in Micah chapter 3. And if you would, join me in standing if you're able, or just stand and give your attention to the Word of Scripture in your heart. Like normal, I'll ask you to have your oxygen mask close by. Uh, Please keep all sharp objects tucked away in the Uh, the pew in front of you, and just be prepared, okay? This is rated R, a lot of this, so. Micah 3, and I said, listen, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, should you not know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear off the skin of my people, the flesh off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people, and flay the skin off them. Was I right here? Okay. Who break their bones into pieces, chop them up like meat in a kettle, like flesh in a cauldron. Does that sound like Halloween? Then they will cry out to the Lord, but He won't answer them. 
He'll hide his face from them at that time because they've acted wickedly. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead the people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against those who put nothing into their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without revelation. The sun will set upon the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced, the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from the God, from God. But as for me, I'm filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression and Israel his sin. Hear this, you rulers of the house of Jacob, you chiefs of the house of Israel, who abhor justice and pervert all equity, who build up Zion with blood and Jerusalem with wrong. Its rulers give judgments for a bribe, its priests teach for a price. Its prophets give oracles for money, yet they lean upon the Lord and say, Surely the Lord is with us. No harm shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins. And the mountain of the house of the Lord, a wooded heights. The word of the Lord from the prophet Micah. Thanks be to God. The court drama continues, and they dismiss the children from the assembly, right? To have a message like this proclaimed. A couple of more people are brought on to the stand. A couple more people are brought to be tried, and this time it's a group of people the government officials, the princes, the rulers, and, unfortunately for me, the priests and the prophets and the religious leaders. These two groups each get pointed words from Micah. The first through the first five verses for those government officials, and from verse 5 on to verse 7, focused attention to the prophets and priests. And finally, a combo punch, boom, boom. In the last verses, both of them are attacked in an oracle of judgment. Now I have to kind of get us back into the story. I have to remember. You remember how this courtroom drama unfolds in the days of, of Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah? Words that don't ring so well on our ears because we might prefer to hear something like in the days of Washington and Adams and Jefferson. But for them, those words meant something. We've moved past Micah's proclamation as it echoed in the time of Jotham when everything was going fine to the days of Ahaz. King Ahaz is a little more complicated in his rule in 8th century Judea. He was one that the scriptures say did not do what was right in the sight of Yahweh. He wasn't a good king. He veered hard away from the Deuteronomic law in Deuteronomy that Moses laid out. He did things that were despicable, including walking his children through the fire. Not a Halloween trick, mind you, but tempting and testing the gods. Ahaz was not a good king. 
So when Micah's words resound and echo during Ahaz's time, they start to ring a little true, but only half true. During Ahaz's time, their neighboring uh, fellow country, the divided country, the northern kingdom of Israel, falls in 722 B.C. And so where they thought Micah was crazy as he said these things during Jotham's reign, now during Ahaz, he's kind of half true. They've seen their neighbors lose their kingdom, and now things make a little more sense. So if you pop up a meme with a picture of King Ahaz, you could put lines across it like, should I not know justice? Which is kind of the attack there in the first part of chapter 1. Is justice my job description, essentially, what these rulers are saying? Well, yes, yes, justice should be your job description. Instead, these rulers hate what is good. They despise it. They reject it. They run away from what is good. And they love what's evil. Now, we would want a leader of any stripe to be the exact opposite, to even wish the exact opposite on their enemies. What's good? And then we get this R-rated rendition of how Micah describes these leaders of peeling the skin off, filleting the flesh off the bones, turning these human beings into pulled pork sandwiches. It's graphic. It's unimaginable to think about cannibalism in this way. To think about how detached these rulers are, these elites, from the common experience of everyday people turning a blind eye to their housing situation, to their employment situation, to the ways that they care for one another's health. These leaders are separate and detached. Well, that brings us to our third rule that arises from chapter 3. A third rule of how to lose your purpose. And it seems pretty plain, as we look at the rulers and we're about to look at at the prophets, that you lose your purpose by me-first living. If you want to lose your purpose, then just practice me-first living. And we all know this is not the way we're supposed to live, right? It it doesn't take a lot of convincing on my part to tell you, now, don't practice me-first living. We do that on sports teams. We get frustrated with professional athletes whenever they have a me-first attitude that brings down the team. We do this with our children. In fact, there are even children's stories, like the one uh, by Helen Lester about Pinkerton Pig that's entitled, Me First. I'll tell you more about Pinkerton Pig in a bit. But this is not rocket science. Whenever you practice Me First living, you're not living for the good of others. When we hear these words, when we hear these accusations against leaders, What does that really say for us? I mean, we're not leaders. We're not rulers. No one has us on the ballot. No one is asking us to make a judicial decision, right? So how does this fit with us? Well, let's go a little deeper and think about what we do have decisions over. Do we think about, let's just take two examples, our clothing and our food. Do we think about where our clothing comes from? Do we think about who harvests the cotton and how they're treated? 
Do we think about who weaves that together into fabric and stitches the cloth together and dyes the fabric? Do we think about the trucking industry that brings that cheap shirt that we're able to buy at Target? Do we think about that long chain and how people are treated at every step along the way? That's not always what I think about, right? Is it a shirt that I like? This crazy one? This is the best I can do on a Halloween costume today. Is it just that it's a good, cheap shirt that you like? Or are we willing to pay a little bit more to make sure that people who were involved in making that shirt were paid a fair wage and who were able to take care of their families? This is something to think about. What about our food? What about our apples and bananas and our nectarines as they appear at Sprouts? Does that just happen by magic? No, there are people that grow that produce. There are people that pick that produce, that clean it and sort it and ship it. And are we aware or are we blind to how people are treated along the process of bringing us that fruit? When Micah sees these things and sees the lack of awareness of the rulers, he says, no, this is wrong. This is not the way it should be. And he steps in and he's harsh on us as leaders, on us as buyers and purchasers. And he says some remarkable things. That whenever we cry out, whenever things aren't going our way, Micah says, God's not going to listen. God's going to turn his face and close his ears towards our cries. Tough stuff to the, to, the, to the rulers. Tough stuff to us. Well, it gets harder on me because it shifts to a focus on the prophets. These prophets don't get off the hook either. The meme machine of Micah begins to push deeply into these preachers. These people who are leading folks astray. And it's easy to forget how intertwined sometimes ministers are with political affairs. Right? If we draw and think about the connections, if these priests and these prophets are drawing income from others, usually from the rulers, and those rulers are making a porridge of human flesh, then the food that the priests are eating, the rewards that they're getting, are coming from these cannibalistic rulers, right? It doesn't take much logic to draw that line from the rulers to the priests. Now, here's what's happening. These particular priests and prophets are, whenever they're fed, whenever they're taken care of, saying, peace for everyone. But if people don't put food in their mouths, if they don't take care of them, they say, war. Now, again, it's pretty straightforward what's happening. If things if, if, the, if they're taken care of, the message is one of prosperity and we're gonna, God's going to take care of you. The message is directly tied to how those priests are taken care of. Now that's frustrating, right? Where you hear a wishy-washy preacher who just cares about me first. How am I being taken care of? That's difficult for me to hear. I mean, I'm a preacher's kid. I've not known my life apart from dependence upon the church. So it troubles me like it troubles anyone to see this kind of an approach 
to ministry that should be about service and should be about serving people. When like the rulers, sometimes it's just serving those people up for dinner. That's difficult stuff. And the result, says Micah, is that darkness will come over those ministers. God will not speak. There will not be clear teaching. Not a clear word from God. Those visions will dry up and go away. Now, I'm kind of struck by something interesting that happens. I don't know if you caught it, but in all these attacks that Micah is giving, he's dishing it out to the rulers, he's dishing it out to the prophets and priests, but then you get down to verse 9. No, no, no. Verse 8. And he says, But as for me, I'm filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression and Israel his sin. I think it's only fair to stop right there and say, wait a second. Is Micah playing a little trick-or-treat game with us? He's just attacked all of these prophets and priests, but here he says, I'm filled with the breath of Yahweh. I'm the one appointed to give this message to point out the sins of Jacob and Israel. I think it's only fair to ask Micah and say, okay, exactly how does that happen? That's a brave juxtaposition to put him as speaking the breath of God and these others as speaking peace whenever they're fed and war whenever they're not. So what's the difference? Can you jump into the head of a minister for a bit? Can you think about what's going on? What separates someone who's just in it for themselves and someone who's speaking the very words of God? There are actually several things. With Micah, Micah asserts that God alone is righteous. Micah at every turn is lifting up God, pointing people to God. He is speaking God's message, not his own. There's no benefit for Micah to stand and speak this kind of a message to a group of people. It's a wonder that he was not burned at the stake and that his book was not burned. So he speaks boldly because it's not really his message. Another thing is that he convicts himself. He's not just attacking and rebuking other people. He's including his home team. Both Israel, that might be their neighboring team, but definitely the home team of Judah. He is saying we need to own and be aware of our sins. His rebuking owns that fact. You know one thing about prophets Just because a prophet is loud doesn't mean they're speaking for God. Just because a prophet is annoying doesn't make them a prophet of God. Just because a prophet is an agitator and a poker and saying things like, well, it's not me, it's just God that says these things. Just because a prophet acts in those ways doesn't mean that prophet is from God. Being able to deflect and say, oh, it's not about me, doesn't mean that they're actually functioning to share the very word of God. The prophets, that are true prophets, focused in on God and pointing people to God. The combo punch, the combo attack, comes in the final verses, 9 through 12. As both Israel and Judah, both prophets and the rulers, are attacked. And they're not being encouraged at all by the words that they hear. 
Whenever they're going to build Jerusalem with blood, whenever they're going to build it with wrongdoing, Micah is going to be there to speak the truth. And in fact, I think the reason Micah wasn't burned, and the reason why we may even have this book, is verse 12. It's the most pointed and least hopeful verse of all. Because he tells them what's going to happen. Because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins. And the Temple Mount shall become overgrown with trees. It all gets wiped away. I think another reason why Micah fits into the category of a true prophet is that his words come true. He speaks well in advance of his time. He's the first to predict these two downfalls of both the north and the south. And it happens to the north under Ahaz, and it will not happen for another 150 years. But in fact, this little minor prophet, this tiny little guy Micah, Micah the meme prophet, gets quoted in Jeremiah. A major prophet. A big prophet. Because whenever they're about to kill Jeremiah for doing kind of the same thing of seemingly just being an agitator of speaking these words of God, and they're about ready to kill uh, Jeremiah, they say, well, wait a second. We didn't kill Micah. And Micah was right 150 years ago. So Micah becomes a, a thing that saves Jeremiah from being killed that many years later. The problem here is a me-first attitude that puts who I am ahead of anyone and everyone else. The problem is the kind of focus that's not upon God and not upon doing what's good for others, but only what's good for me. And Micah risks stepping over that line and challenging people with these words, questioning them to love God beyond themselves, to love others beyond themselves. We still kind of come to a so what moment, don't we? I mean, this is still a 3,000 year old story. It's kind of hard to connect with. We're not really rulers. We don't fit in the exact way with these prophets and priests. Well, it's times like this where whether you were a student or a child, whether you were a, a business leader or a retired person, times like this are opportunities to see whether or not our life is in alignment with God. It's a good opportunity. Are we living in alignment with God? Are we thinking about the results of our actions? How they influence others? I mean, it's pretty easy for us to to say, you know, life's not fair. Things aren't going well. Income's going down. Retirement benefits are being frozen. Whatever. To complain about those things. Just getting yourself and your life in alignment with God is not some way to make things go better for you. Can you hear me say that? I mean, in this chapter, it talks about people being eaten. And I don't think they really mean that. But still, that's not a positive thing for people that are trying to follow God. Or in chapter 2, when they talk about innocent people's jackets being taken away. Just because your life is in alignment with God doesn't mean that everything goes well. That's an unrealistic expectation. There were many innocent people that were harmed during these times of occupation, times of destruction. But 
no matter how we feel about what's happening to us, can we use it as an opportunity to line ourselves up with God? When we whine about being bullied on social media, are we aware of how we're bullying others on social media? Whenever we're concerned about what's unfair in our treatment, whenever we're uh, choking on this bone that has broken our tooth and is sticking in our neck as it slides down, are we thinking about whether or not that's a human bone? Remembering back to Micah, the people that have been involved in bringing that food to us, are we thinking about our own unfair practices? Justice is about loving what's good and hating what is evil. And Micah speaks against any attempt to try to say, well, you know, there's a little bit of good in us doing this whole lot of evil. Micah will not let them pour the foundation of the temple with evil because the ends justify the means, that we're going to get something good out of it. No, that skews what is good and what is just and what is right. Well, I have to go one more direction. I have to bring it a little lighter. Maybe take it and bring it home. This has been heavy. This has been another one. I mean, we've got bones stuck in our throat. This has been more than just having an oxygen mask today. We're going to need the Heimlich maneuver before this is all over. Well, I mentioned to you the children's book that you're probably not familiar with. It's called Me First. Maybe some of you have heard of of Helen Lester's book, Me First. And it's an interesting story about a piglet named Pinkerton who always wants to be first. Time to eat, me first. Time to get on the bus, me first. Saying me first everywhere. And the turn of the story comes uh, whenever this line is said, would you care for a sandwich? Me first. Here comes Pinkerton. Well, once you turn the page, Pinkerton meets a sand witch, a purple-faced witch who has flip-flops on. She is a sand witch. And she said, I'm so glad you want to care for a sand witch. You're going to come care for me. So he has to sweep out her sand castle. He has to feed her. He's having to do all of these things for her, right? And it finally gets to the point where he's tired of having to care for this sand witch. And he's learned his lesson, that he's learned that being first is not always best. And then he's able to be set free. She tries to give him a sandwich, and he runs off. Now, it's a great story. I love the whole sandwich idea. It's it's funny to think about a purple sandwich and flip-flops and teaching a lesson about me first. But I always like to think deeply about things. And so... With all due respect to the author, I got to thinking about how this story communicates a very important meaning, me first is bad, but does so by not focusing on the how. Let me, let me explain. See if you're tracking with me here at the end. Deep breath, everyone. It's, it's lighter than Micah, right? Well, he learns that he doesn't like caring for the sandwich. He learns that's not beneficial for him. And so even though he learns the benefit of not saying me first, he's learned that he doesn't really want to care for people anymore. So the how gets lost. Do you see that now? Sometimes we lose the how. Sometimes we forget about that process of what happens in the in-between. And Micah 
pulls that into full relief and makes us think, yes, it's good to learn about not being me first, but how? What's that journey in between? Let's pray. God, we have a lot to learn from you. And we thank you that even after 3,000 years, we're still learning from one story. God, we ask for your forgiveness. We confess that we are not who we want to be, let alone always who you've called us to be. Would you help us to not lose our purpose by saying me first and trying to get to the front of the line, but to really be aware of how we can love you and how we can love other people. Thank you for the grace and the mercy that you've shown us and help us to live under the Lordship of Jesus, to follow Jesus through every moment of our day, to breathe in deeply of your Spirit. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.